Hey, hey, y'all. Cable here. This week's show brought to you by the Stillwaters Ranch in Llano, Texas. Right now, my buddy Clayton Leverett is offering a special trophy package for the 2016-17 whitetail season. It's any buck up to 199 inches for seven grand. Yes, I know. That's a lot of money. But so are deer leases, fuel, corn, feed, all that stuff. It adds up. So, if you want a no-hassle whitetail experience at a beautiful ranch that's been in the Leverett family since 1892, then go to the dot Tell Clayton I sent you. He'll take good care of you. That's the stillwatersranch.com in Llano, Texas. There's a million conversations with my old man about who he was and who I am that I never had. Just wouldn't listen. I just kept digging myself down in them holes in my life. Down in good morning, good morning, good morning, sweet, beautiful Texas and beyond. A little Cody Johnson kicking things off for us here on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show, brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith. It is so great to be here talking, hunting, fishing. The great outdoors and all that implies with you today. Hope you have big plans to get into the woods this weekend or maybe take the family out to the lake, do a little crappie fishing. Whatever the case may be, get the kids off the Xbox, hand them a tackle box because I guarantee you they don't remember their best day playing video games. But looking back, I sure as hell remember those days fishing with my dad. Uh, Anyway, we've got a great show lined up for you. Uh, Thank you so much for being here as we are ready to rock and roll. So, you know what to do by now. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old thermos. Yep, that same one that's still got mud caked on it from the 2009 duck season. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire because we've got a ton to get into. And off the top, a very interesting topic for anybody who's ever done uh, backcountry hunting or maybe you're planning your first backcountry hunt for this fall. Anyway, our old buddy Randy Newberg from Fresh Tracks on the Sportsman's Channel, a renowned public land big game hunter, will jump on with us because you can actually do a lot of scouting from your computer at home. So we'll break down topo maps, Google Earth, the whole nine yards, and Randy will tell us exactly what he's looking for when he's pouring over his maps prior to a backcountry hunt. Because let's face it, if you can eliminate you know, three-fourths of the area in your hunt unit, just by looking at a map, then, you know, you've really already done yourself a favor and should have an idea of where elk or mule deer or bear or whatever it is you're looking for should be. Uh, So cool stuff coming up with Randy. And I always learn something uh, when he jumps on with this. So uh, I'm looking forward to visiting with him. Then we will head across the Canadian border and wet a line with freshwater fishing Hall of Famer Gord Pizer. Why are we doing that? Well, uh, next week I am heading up to Ontario with my dad and brothers, a couple friends uh, from the church I grew up in, and we're going to do some northern pike fishing, uh, also smallmouth bass. Uh, But here's the deal. I don't know crap about northern pike fishing, I'll be honest with you. I've caught a couple on a previous canoe trip up there, but they were very small. And I don't want to come back from this trip not having caught a bigger pike than my dad or brothers. Uh, You know, bragging rights are key when it comes to us fishermen. So anyway, Gord will jump on with us. He'll tell us how we should be rigged up, uh, also what baits we should be using when trying to get a a predatory reaction strike from the northern pike and uh, where we can find them. So cool stuff coming up with Gord uh, regarding a fish that 
as for as long as I can remember, I've been uh, infatuated with. And also, uh, we'll talk a little smallmouth fishing too, because the smallie fishing up there is absolutely phenomenal. And y'all know we don't have uh, a lot of smallmouth this far south, uh, so Gord will shed some insight on where to find those little guys and uh, what baits they are like in this time of year as well. Uh, so. Lots of fishing talk coming up with you with uh, Freshwater Fishing Hall of Famer Gord Pizer. Then we will wrap up today's broadcast by talking some shotguns with Mossberg's Linda Powell. And here's the cool thing. If Linda's jumping on with us, that means we're probably giving away a rifle or a shotgun. So you'll want to stay tuned to find out which gun we're giving away and how you can win it. Uh, among other things, we'll also take a look at Mossberg's over-under which I know it's got to be extremely difficult for an American firearm company to compete with the Italian models when it comes to over-action or, or you know, break-action shotguns. So uh, that should be an interesting discussion as well. So cool stuff coming up with Linda, uh, which, of course, you won't want to miss because we'll tell you how you can win a brand-new Mossberg shotgun. Uh, that's coming up at the bottom of the hour. So anyway, that's what's on the docket for today. It's going to be a good one. I'm certainly excited about it, and I'm glad that you're here to take it all in with me. Uh, what else do we want to do? Oh, yeah, don't forget our August photo of the month contest is rocking and rolling, and I'm not going to tell you any more about the grand prize because Linda's going to do that in depth at the bottom of the hour. Uh, but you can send in your best hunting or fishing photo to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com or use that hashtag LSOS Photo Contest on Instagram or direct message it to me on Facebook. Whatever you want to do, just get it in. Uh, the 50 finalists will square off at the end of the month for a fan vote to determine the winner. And then our 12 monthly winners from 2016 will square off at the end of the year for a chance to join me on a trophy axis deer or black buck hunt down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So another great grand prize brought to you by Coons Canyon Ranch. Um, let's see, a couple other things I want to mention. Don't forget that the Texas Trophy Hunters extravaganza is going on this weekend in Houston, August 12th through the 14th at the NRG Center. And while this giveaway won't help you if you want to go to the Houston show, because I don't have a way to get you the tickets, it will help you if you're interested in the San Antonio show the following weekend or the Corpus show the last weekend of August. Uh, so the third person to text in the word trophy, that's trophy, to 214-289-7807. That's 214-289-7807. I'll send you a couple VIP passes to the Texas Trophy Hunters extravaganza of your choice. We'll also throw in a TTHA cooking pack. It's uh, actually their Deer Camp Ketchup 30-06 sauce and their hickory rub, which is what I use on all my uh, wild game that I put on my smoker. So text in the word trophy to 214-289-7807, and you could win the Texas Trophy Hunters VIP tickets and cooking pack, which we are giving away here this morning. Let's knock out a break. When we come back, we're taking on the backcountry with our old buddy Randy Newberg right here DSC's Lone Star Outdoors show. Let her blow, let her blow. Let her blow, 
you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, guide scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. Hi, I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffbear for Hoffbear's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffbear's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. Please keep buying your Polaris products from us. Send us your friends, your neighbors, all your hunting buddies, and I promise we'll keep giving the best deals on a brand new Polaris in all of Texas. Whether you're looking for a Polaris for work or play, whether you need a regular Ranger or maybe a Ranger Crew, an RZR, they've got an all-new Ace that you need to come test drive. We've also got four-wheelers from a youth model all the way up to the all-new Sportsman 1000. For your Polaris headquarters, Hoff Powers Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas is who you need to see all or get on the web and contact today. You can check us out at hpolaris.com. That's H's in Hoff Power, polaris.com. Or you can come see us at Highway 84 West in Gulfway, Texas. And folks, Hoff Powers has been in Central Texas for over 50 years now, and we couldn't have stuck around this long if we were steering you wrong. Cable Smith here for Deerview Windows. As a whitetail hunter, nothing is more frustrating than poor visibility in a deer blind. It can flat ruin a hunt. At Deerview Window Company, they manufacture windows solely for the use in deer stand and deer blinds. All of their windows and doors can be custom made to fit your specific openings. Or you can select from standard sizes, from hinged windows to sliding windows and everything in between. Visit DeerviewWindows.com to determine which style window is best for your deer blind. Plus, you'll get a free quote. Deerview Windows, where visibility matters. Hi, this is Fred Eichler with Easton Bowhunting and Predator Nation. Thanks for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. September in the Rockies, the bull elk bugles ring. Their sounds fill the canyons just like they're trying to sing. Fall winds blow in winter and the snow's falling deep. Rich Fire's the name of that one from Dave Watson bringing us back on Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoor Show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for sharing a part of your weekend with me as we are all set to dive into one of my absolute favorite topics. But before we talk bugling bulls, uh, this segment of the show is brought to you by Scent Blocker. It's the name I trust when I'm in the woods, whether that's sitting in my tree stand come October or, uh, you know, on a backcountry mule deer hunt in December when it's uh, really frigid out there. They've got base layers, outer layers, and extreme heavy-duty hunting apparel as well. Uh, so do yourself a favor. Go to scentblocker.com to see for yourself today. Well, uh, let's go ahead and jump into our next topic here. It's uh, certainly one that I find interesting and helpful. And certainly, you know, if you drew that once-in-a-lifetime bull elk tag for this fall, or maybe if you're going over the counter um, like I am in Colorado, either way, that hunt is going to start with you pouring over maps, trying to find areas where you think elk 
should be. And so internet scouting and, and the use of topo maps is, you know, invaluable leading up to your hunt. And I've asked our old friend Randy Newberg from Fresh Tracks on Sportsman's Channel to join us today. He's been at this a lot longer than I have. And he's taken more bull elk on public land than just about anyone else that I know. So it's my pleasure to welcome our old friend Randy Newberg back to the program. Abel, thank you so much for having me here. I, I always appreciate the invite and uh, glad we can do it. Yes, sir. I guess, first of all, why don't you tell us uh, how you've been and are you feeling good physically to take on another grueling season of hunting the backcountry? Oh, boy. It's a, you know, I did, I'm 51, so every day I wake up with a new pain. Yeah. And I think, do I really want to do backpack elk hunts this year? <laughs> <laughs> but I'm fortunate that I live here in Montana and I have a trailhead right behind my house, so... I can get my two hours of hiking in anytime I want, and uh, it seems like once I get going, the aches and pains go away, and and then your mind is thinking about all these fun hunts you're going to have this fall, and so you, you're you're mentally ready to go before you're probably physically ready to go. No doubt. Well, and what tags were you able to uh, to draw or acquire for this fall? Yeah, you know, I'm so lucky to live in Montana, where over the counter I get a deer and elk tag. So that's that's always kind of a given. And then I drew Nevada mule deer. I finally burned my elk points in Colorado. I've been not not on purpose, just because of schedules. I've been buying a, a point in Colorado, and I looked around. And I'm like, wow, I got 19 elk points. So <laughs> I burned those for a rifle hunt in uh, in Colorado for elk this year. Uh, me and a good friend Corey Jacobson, we lucked out and drew two of the four self-guided non-resident elk archery elk permits for one of my favorite units in new mexico uh got a wyoming deer tag so i'm i'm gonna be a pretty busy guy between my tags and then i'm helping a couple friends who have elk tags this year and we're gonna film those so there there seems to be no shortage of places to be yeah Maybe there's a shortage of days to be there (laughs) (laughs) well and you told me that the unit uh that you drew in New Mexico, I gotta say I'm a little jealous there. For you guys to draw two out of the four is pretty. Uh, I don't. There might be something underhanded going on there. <laughs> <laughs> Back in the days when it was paper applications, I know they would accuse me of slipping money in the envelope, but now it's all online, so I'm. Yeah. I'm not sure how you would rig it when it's online. So. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's gonna be a great hunt, and uh, Corey is a uh, a world champion elk caller, so. That should be yeah. uh, that should make for some some great TV as well. I, I hope so. I I tell Corey, you know, being you're the world champion elk caller, if we don't get one, I'm just blaming it all on you. Oh, of course, yeah. You played the wrong <laughs> tune. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, Randy, we've talked a lot over the years about backcountry hunting, and last September, I finally found success on my fourth uh, do-it-yourself public land hunt. I took a my first bull with a bow. And while I've learned a lot and have my own experiences, I'm still far from any kind of an expert. But uh, you are an expert. Uh, you're, you're using that term, Luke. Oh, come on for, now. For this discussion, we'll, we'll say Randy. Uh, how, how would I say it? I I have decades of experience of making mistake after mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, you do find success plenty as well. And remind us how many elk you've taken in and how many states. Cool. Boy, that's a good question. I I got asked that the other day, and I started thinking, and 
I, I went out to my shop and I have a, a big 30 by 50 shop where I keep all of my antlers and my wife calls it the bone yard. Uh-huh. Uh, and there were more elk out there than I thought. Um, and I sold some of them. This is, you know, when you're young, how stupid you can be. Mm-hmm. I sold some of my elk antlers. I'm like, what? what? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> was it really worth that? <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I, I'm guessing I, if I had to sit down and count, I could probably do it. But probably 20 bulls over, and I've hunted, let's see, Montana, Wyoming, Utah, Nevada, Colorado, Arizona, New Mexico. What was that? Seven states? Yeah, something like that. That's, yeah, that's impressive. And I've been lucky to you know, help a lot of, uh, we get a lot of guest hunters where, uh, we might both have tags, but they always get the first shot. And, uh, so sometimes we only get one out, but I sure learn a lot on those hunts, even, even if it's the guest hunter who's, who's filling the tag. Sure. Sure. But well, I, if, if there's a mistake to make out there in public land elk hunting, I've probably made it. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, trial and error, live and learn. Yeah. Um, but what I wanted to really get into today is something that uh, is essential for every backcountry hunter, whether it's elk or mule deer or antelope, whatever, um, and that's maps. Now, there's obviously paper maps and digital maps, which uh, most of us have on our GPS units. So walk us through which ones you're using, uh, where you get them, and, uh, and then we'll talk about you know breaking them down after that. Yeah. I, I use both uh, digital maps and paper maps. Uh, right now, if you went upstairs to my office, which we call the Randy Room, you'd see paper maps strewn all across the floor with all kinds of squiggle marks and stuff. So I print them off on, I print the paper maps just off on plain paper because I know I'm going to write all over them. And then for me, the map process and the scouting process is, a, is more a, an effort of eliminating terrain because when you first look at your map you're like there's no way i can hunt all this in my five days or seven days or whatever i have to hunt Mm -hmm. so how do i eliminate the unproductive territory and that's really what i'm doing with maps and and even with my scouting and uh, for me i i break elk seasons down into five different calendar periods and, and this is the calendar an elk lives by not what we live by but it's the early season which is mostly august it's the pre-rut which is probably the first 10 days of september then the peak rut which runs from mid-september to you know early october then we get in the post rut which is most of late october and then we have late seasons which are november and december mm-hmm. and the reason i break it down that way is if you think about white-tailed deer hunting, they have different needs. They almost have five calendar periods like that, and they have a different need in each of those five calendar periods. Same with elk. They have a different need in each of those periods, and the primary needs are going to be either food, water, sanctuary, or survival, whatever you want to call it. And seasonally, there's going to be a period where they have breeding as one of their primary needs. So... I look at it and say, all right, if I'm archery hunting, and I think you said you're going to Colorado, right? Mm-hmm. Archery hunting. Yeah, so, second, like the 10th through the uh, 18th or something oh, like that. So you're going to be in the peak rut for the most part. So I would look at, all right, in the peak rut period, what's the primary need? Well, <laughs> we know what the primary oh, need yeah. is, breeding. And everything else becomes, breeding is like need number one through 99. 
water is maybe need number 100 and food might be number 200. It's, it's got such a crazy priority there. And so for me, then I start saying, all right, where are they going to be to satisfy the need of breeding? Well, they're going to be near the cows. So then in September, it becomes where are, if I can find cows, I'm going to find bulls. Where am I going to find cows in in mid-September? Well, the cows know that they got to put the feed bag on because the green stuff is going to start drying up. Food is going to start disappearing. Snow is going to start coming. So I'm looking for places that have the best food. As crazy as that sounds, is I find a breeding bull near food. Well, the reason you do is because the cows are near the food. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of what I'm going through in my mind in a in an archery hunt because it's peak rut. Right. And so then convert that to maps. Well, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm probably going to get on Google Earth and I'm going to look to see, all right, where are the areas that look like it has, has food? Because elk are grazers. They're not browsers. Deer will browse elk will graze. So where are the grasses, the forbs, the things that elk prefer? And it, it always strikes me how selective elk can be in their feeding. I, I'll look at a meadow or a hillside or a ridgetop and say, boy, this looks like great elk feed, and there's no elk sign. And then I'll go to the next ridge, and it kind of looks the same, but there's elk everywhere. And there's something in their selectiveness of what they're looking for that I, my human eye doesn't pick up. And so I, I wish I could say that elk eat this grass or mm-hmm. this orb throughout their entire range. But what they eat in Montana in September and what they're selective in, in searching out is different than what they're going to look for in Colorado or New Mexico or Arizona. So for me, I'll be looking for their food sources. Um, yeah. And on a map, um, like say, for example, if you go to mytopo.com or yep. the USGS or whatever, mm-hmm. which are some of the maps that I have, uh, you'll see a lot, of, a lot of those areas are actually like shaded in white, like the meadows and stuff. Mm-hmm. And the rest, I mean, obviously the forest is going to be green, so that kind of gives you an idea of what you're looking for. Um, yep. And and the same with Google Earth, you can quickly identify. All right, here are the places that the cows are going to want food nearby, they're going to want water nearby, and they're going to want bedding cover. So where's a place where I can find those three things with the least amount of human disturbance? So human disturbance is usually has this lineal sliding scale that the closer to a road, the higher the human disturbance, the further from a road, the less the human disturbance. So even cows tune into that because they just, they don't want to be bothered if they can help it. Mm-hmm. So using, you know, I have the, my topo paper maps. I have my onyx map, the digital maps that that's, that ends up getting downloaded into my GPS. But as, as far as my scouting from home, I, I'll take my, my uh, map from my topo, and that's where I start making little dots on there to say, all right, these are places I want to look at. And it's a function of, is it, can I get away from some roads, which means I'm probably going to get away from hunters, which means the cows are going to be comfortable being there. And so there's a lot of places I can cross off, you know, just the absolute ugly rock and ice. There's nothing to eat there, so there's not going to be cows where it's just rock and ice, which you see at some of that super, super high elevation in Colorado. So I, I can cross that off my map. 
And so, like like I said, I, I print off these paper maps, just like on plain paper. And so I start crossing that off. And then, all right, here's a huge band of nothing but dark timber. The fringe of that might be an opportunity, but the midst of that, there's not going to be a lot of cow mm-hmm. I mean, if it's four square miles of just absolute dark timber, they might come and bid, bed on the edge of it. For, for the sanctuary and safety that the dark timber provides and the and the coolness, but they're not going to be in these huge huge expanses, right? Of dark timber, so I can kind of cross off some of that, and then I'm I'm looking for these either disturbed areas that are disturbed because of fire, or mechanical thinning, or logging, or whatever. Sometimes it's just a natural edge area. Um, we, and a lot of this I equate back to growing up as a whitetail hunter. The whitetails were always on the fringe areas, you know, the transition from a, a brush to a grass or mm-hmm. whatever. And elk are not a lot different. So when I'm done crossing off all the places on my paper map that says, all right, not near a road, not in the rock and ice, not in the dark timber, pretty soon I look at that piece of paper and there's not a lot of spots left. And those are the spots that I go and mark on my my uh, paper map from my topo. Mm-hmm. And I try to have 10 or 12 of those spots in my general hunting area. And then I go to my Onyx map system and I start really looking at it. And in a lot of places where you're going to be in Colorado, there's really not a public-private uh, issue. Some places in Colorado, there's a lot of private land issues. So... Um, yeah, my digital maps with Onyx maps are really important in those areas where there's a lot of private land. Sure. It, it does me no good to find a great elk spot that's on private land. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so that's kind of how I go about it. And when I head to the hills, I have my digital maps that I've downloaded to my GPS or my, my cell phone uh, under the, the new hunt app that I have. Oh, and I also have my big Tyvek map that I've ordered from mytopo.com. Mm-hmm. Um, once you've crossed off all these areas and you've really are honed in on places where you think elk should be, I mean, you're probably looking at a lot of saddles and benches. And, you know, if you're looking at a map, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you've got really steep elevation. That means obviously the lines are real close together. And when they start to flatten out, um, those saddles, I mean, just my limited experience have, have been productive uh, as far as, where I found out. Yep, it, it is. And there's a lot of studies out there that have been done about preferred bedding areas for elk. Uh, elk prefer to bed, and the steeper the slope, the less they like to bed. Um, so it might just be the little toe of a ridge that flattens out for a small distance, maybe 30 or 40 yards. They will bed right there where it's flatter. Mm-hmm. do not like to bed on steep, steep slopes if they can help it. So to your point of saddles, benches on the, and it might be, and when you look at your topo lines, you can kind of see those, those, so there's a ridge going out and it's a pretty steep spine to the ridge. And then all of a sudden it's got a little bench that flattens out. Those are the kind of places where I expect that elk are going to bed, especially if it's somewhere near food and water. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the other thing that I always mark water spots when I'm going to be hunting peak rut, 
for the obvious reason that elk need water. In some places, water is more scarce. I mean, up here in Montana and Idaho, we have water in every drainage. So sure. water is really not that powerful of a tool or of, a, of an item when you're trying to isolate where elk are going to be. The further south you get, maybe even the southern Colorado, um, that's not the case. You get to Arizona and New Mexico, and it's certainly not the case. And if I can find a water source that elk are using, I mean, if we think about how our day normally happens, we get up before daylight, we go out, we listen for bugles, we're, we're in the vicinity of areas we've marked on our maps, maybe we do some locating bugles to see if we get a response. Maybe we luck out and we chase elk till 10 or 11 in the morning. And then there's kind of this dead period till about four or five in the afternoon. Well, these water sources, what I have found in places where water is, well, not, not just where water is scarce, but the, these bulls, especially the bigger bulls, once they go bed their cows, they are burning so much energy and they have to thermoregulate so heavily that a lot of times once they bed the cows at 10 in the morning, about noon, one, two o'clock, they will get up silently and they will come in and water all by themselves. And then they'll go back to the cows because they, they're, they're expending so much energy. They can't just water once a day mm -hmm. to water multiple times a day. And some of the biggest bulls I've seen when I've been out archery hunting is just kind of stumbling along, checking water sources in the middle of the day. And there's a big bull standing there and I'm <laughs> unprepared or, you know, or, or whatever. And, uh, it's, it, it's a remarkably effective tactic if you know that there are elk bedded nearby know where that water source is and rather than go back to camp in the middle of the day set up somewhere you know using the wind to your favor uh set up somewhere near that water hole because there's a it doesn't happen every day but there's a very good chance a bull is going to come into that water hole somewhere between 10 in the morning and 5 in the afternoon mm -hmm. okay and some really big bulls get taken that way oh sure yeah, well, I will say the last couple of years, New Mexico has been so wet that, right. you know, they, they've been fortunate to have a lot of uh, water. <laughs> yeah, the monsoon season can, can certainly make that a more effective or, or almost an, an ineffective strategy. Mm -hmm. um, to your point of topo lines. Yeah, um, go ahead. Yeah, that, the, you know, it's kind of like fishermen. We, we read the topo lines, you know, when we get the, the lake maps, and we say, all right, the fish are going to be off this ledge or in this corner, this point or whatever. And they'll respond to, to terrain and dis, uh, differences in topography very similarly. There's certain places they like to bed. There's certain places they like to travel. And use those to your advantage. Well, Randy, I'm certainly enjoying the conversation, my friend. Um, there's still a lot more I want to get into as far as if you, once you figure it out. You know, these elk can become a little predictable and I'd like for you to explain that a little bit more in detail after the break so are you cool to stick around for a few more minutes I can hang here as long as you need me Gable perfect and that segment by the way brought to you by Lone Star Beer the national beer of Texas grab a 12 pack on your way to the lake and celebrate tight lines and full stringers with an ice cold Lone Star Beer Lone Star Beer the national beer of Texas we all don't go anywhere. We'll continue taking on the backcountry with our old buddy Randy Newberg after the break only on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show.
say. Howdy, friends. Cable Smith here, and many of you have seen my pictures throughout the last hunting season of my Custom 7 mag. That rifle was built by Horizon Firearms. Horizon Firearms is a custom rifle builder here in Texas, located in College Station, and they specialize in extremely accurate custom rifles designed exactly the way you want them. Give them a call at 979-229-4664 or check them out at horizonfirearms.com. LSC Trailer Sales offers a full line of utility trailers from small single axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. They can special order a custom trailer to fit your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions that you have about trailers. Call 940-566-1133 or visit lsctrailersales.com. That's lsctrailersales.com. Are you looking for the perfect place to send your hunting buddy? To check out Tioga Retrievers. With over 20 years experience, Angie and Tim Becker can provide you with a field champion or a well-rounded hunting companion. Tioga Retrievers takes pride in catering to the needs of each owner and their dog. Conveniently located 45 miles north of DFW in Aubrey, Texas, Tioga Retrievers also offers day training and boarding. Call 940-440-0018 or visit them online at www.tiogaretrievers.com. That's T-I-O-G-A retrievers.com. I wish there was something you could do or say To try and make me change my mind and stay We never did too much talking anyway So I don't think twice, it's all right There's a little Willie Nelson and his old buddy, the late great Merle Haggard, bringing us back on. Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show brought to you by Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Don't think twice. It's all right. That's the name of that one there. Great tune from a couple of our all-time favorites. Uh, I'm Cable Smith, by the way. Thank you so much for being here with me as man, we are rocking and rolling, talking some backcountry elk hunting with our old friend Randy Newberg of Fresh Tracks on Sportsman's Channel. But before we jump back into it with Randy, this segment of the show is brought to you by Pulsar, where they continue to set the gold standard in both thermal imaging and night vision technology. So if you're overrun with depredating hogs or coyotes, do what I did. Give Pulsar a call and have them set you up with a thermal or night vision optic. Start raising hell on those depredating coyotes and hogs. And if you tell them I sent you, you'll save 20% off your entire order. Check it out at pulsarnv.com. Well, uh, let's go ahead now and uh, dive back into it with Randy Newberg. Uh, before the break, you know, we were pouring over our topo maps. Randy was breaking them down, telling us exactly how he dissects a map of an area that he's going to be hunting and comes up with a game plan as far as what areas should be holding elk. And Randy, I'll tell you this, last year, I finally came to understand that uh, you're absolutely right when you say that these elk are predictable. And what I mean by that is I shot my elk on Tuesday. We spent the next couple days trying to get uh, my buddy on a bull himself. And, you know, we had really overhunted this one area. We got the map out, though, and we said, okay, we found elk on this ridge at this elevation. Let's check out the next ridge or, you know, two ridges over. And I'll be damned if uh, we didn't find elk in the exact same areas on those ridges. And, and if you find them at a certain band of elevation 
the odds are there's something about that moisture pattern, that uh, vegetation growth pattern that's happening in a similar band of elevation. So if you're finding elk, like you said, at 10 to 11,000, there's a very good chance that's, that's where the moisture, the, you know, there's a green up in the spring and then there's the dry up in the fall. And they're looking for the most succulent food they can. So if it's that way over here, it's probably similar to that over there. Mm-hmm. I try to make it as simple as possible because I'm like simple-minded dude you'd ever meet. And I just got to break it down into very basic things of, all right, if this worked, how do I replicate that in the next spot I go to? Right. Right. Next time I go there. Uh-huh. Well, one other thing we really honed in on was the north-facing slopes. Why is that such a, you know, a limiting or determining factor of a place where elk should be? Yeah, I, I hunt a lot of north-facing or northeast-facing slopes this time of year or, or in September because it's a very hot. They exert more energy trying to stay cool once they have their winter coat on, and they're starting to replace their summer coats by the time archery season comes along. And so they burn a lot of energy trying to stay cool. And one of the things that helps them, obviously, is the north-facing slope or the northeast-facing slope, uh, the, the little patch of dark timber or just bedding, you know, 200 yards into the dark timber. Uh, that That's a very important thing for elk to conserve energy is not having to thermoregulate their bodies in 90-degree open slopes you know, 90 degree temperature versus a 60 degree dark timbered slope. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, they're just all those little things that I just try to put my mind in, or myself in the mind of, all right, if I was an elk and I had this big, thick, heavy coat on and I didn't want to expose myself to any more danger than I had to, um, where would I be? Well, this is where I'd try to hang out and and then, you know, back to the maps, I, when I show up, I usually have 10, maybe 8, 10, 12 spots on my map. And each of them have a little bit different uh, feature to them, but yet all of them have the basics of food, water, because I know that's where the cows are going to be, and some, some distance from, from people. But there might be one that's a northwest-facing area or a north-facing area or maybe an east-facing area. There might be one that has a steeper slope versus a, a, a less steep slope. Each of them are, I'm, I'm trying to use all of them to help me determine, all right, in this area, where are the elk? Where am I seeing more elk? And if I have four spots on my map that are northeast facing and I'm seeing elk in three of those four spots, it's like, all right. The, the, there's something happening on these northeast slopes, whether it's food, whether it's whatever, that these elk are attracted to. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, you, you could pick whatever characteristic you want. But I go there with the purpose of having spots on my map that will will meet the basic needs but have a little bit of variation to them. And once I start noticing patterns, those are the spots on my map I, I focus on. And I've... I can't, I still cross off a lot of my spots when I get there. If I have 12, I'm lucky if three or four of them hold out. Yeah. Now, you're doing this from home on your computer, and your goal is my first two or three days, how do I cross off most of these spots on my map so that I know these remaining spots, I can go there and I can have a really good hunt for the remainder of my trip. Mm-hmm. No doubt. 
Well, and it also helps, uh, in my case, if you draw the same unit two years in a row and you you happen to miss a nice pull the first year, well, he, you know, they're probably going to be back in that same spot yeah, <laughs> next it, year. That, that is, is a, I can't overemphasize how valuable that is if you can find a place where you can go year after year. Um, unfortunately for me, you know, we show up with our cameras and I've got five days. And most often these are places I've never been to. So I got to hit the ground running. That's why I have to do so much map work before I get there because my first day or two is quasi scouting, but yet hunting, trying to eliminate places so that hopefully in the last three days, I've really got elk in some spot that I can really hunt them. But, boy, if you got a spot where you can go year after year, like in Colorado, you know, you can almost do it over the counter every year. Montana, there's leftover tags. Idaho, there's over-the-counter tags. It's It really helps your learning curve because you start learning the landscape more, and the more you learn about the landscape, then it's easier to understand why elk are using this part of it versus that part of it. Right, right. Well, uh, awesome stuff. Very insightful. Uh, hopefully it helped some of our uh, our listeners. You know, every time we visit, I feel like I learned something new. So uh, I appreciate it as well. Let me ask you uh, one last question, Randy, because yeah. I called in. Uh, I mean, it was actually the day I'd shot mine. We got it uh, quartered up back to the trail, and we're walking back to camp. And, I mean, there was a massive 6x6 six six who, just like, you know, just like he should have, he came out of the dark timber into this meadow, and we worked him into 10 yards but he was standing there looking at he kind of had his pin down would you shoot an elk at 10 yards right in the chest if he was looking at you um right yeah. on because mm-hmm. my buddy didn't and he's been right. kicking himself ever since then yeah <laughs> um you know there's a lot of discussion about that yeah and if you can make the shot it's it's one of the most lethal shots there is they don't go very far because that whole you know frontal cavity there is what they call it thoracic area i think mm-hmm You've got all kinds of of uh, veins and arteries coming in there. You have the heart. You have the lungs. It's a very small spot. It's probably, I don't know, eight inches. If you don't hit in that eight inches, you're going to hit a lot of bone. So it's, it's a high-risk, high-reward shot. When you ask me, would I take it? Um, I might if when I came to draw, you know how you get that feeling of, I got this, mm-hmm. you know, you're just calm, you're focused and you know that that arrow is going where you, you want it. Yeah. Then I'd probably hit the release, but if I had even that slightest, you know, shake or worry or then I'd, I'd probably wait for a different profile of the shot. But I've, I've seen a lot of guys do it at very close range and I'm talking like 12, 15 yards or less. Yeah. I would never do it you know, out there at 20 yards or beyond. Sure. Well, I think it worked out for the best for him because he would have been spoiled, uh, you know, if that was his first elk. <laughs> he ended up shooting. He We got him a 5x5 five five on the last day, and uh, I think that was more fitting because he'd have been spoiled rotten for... Uh, well, and, you know, that's... When when you bring that up, it, it really is up to that hunter. And if he felt that, you know what, this just isn't the shot that I'm... 99.9% comfortable that when that arrow releases, this bull is dead, then he shouldn't have taken the shot. It's, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it was the right thing for him to do if he didn't 
have that comfort level or if there was some doubts there. Yeah. You know, and we all get into that discussion in the hunting world of, oh, I would have took that shot. I would have not. I, well, you know what? That's the beauty of hunting. It's our tag, our situation, and we all are in control of our own actions out there. And, and no one else should really judge the right or wrong of your buddy. Yeah. The, yeah, there's no right or wrong answer. So, but I, I'm glad he ended up with one after that, though, because he'd probably be haunted worse. If... Oh my gosh, yeah. I mean, he, I think probably nightmares the next couple nights in camp. Uh, but it, yeah, it ended on a, on a happy note. So, so you guys got two of them. Well, and the third guy, uh, who's was the best hunter. I mean, you, you talk about uh, Eagle Scout, and he's actually the one that got me into hunting all these years ago. He actually shot one, and uh, we couldn't find it. We looked for two days, and oh. he's as ethical as they come. He said, well, that's my tag. I'm not, you know, I'm done hunting. So, yeah. um, Well, you guys really beat the odds. You know, yeah, I think it was 24, or maybe it was 17% or 20% success in, yeah. in that unit we were in. So we we did pretty good. Yeah, so. I mean, and that's the other thing I, I try to tell people is across the West, archery success is about 10% on public land bow elk. Now, in some units, obviously, it's higher because they're limited entry units and there's very little pressure and, you know, whatever. But that means 9 out of 10 times hunters go to the field that season and they come home with their tag in their pocket. Mm-hmm. But they, they had a ton of fun. But the, the person who thinks that, oh, i got to shoot one every time, yeah, that's what we aspire for. But I sure hope people don't get discouraged if if they're not shooting on every time because they're just so much fun to be had and learning and the, the the ups and downs and the failures and the successes that eventually come. It's to me that's what makes hunting so so alluring to me. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I and I've been on both uh, both sides of that, having missed one and the year before, and then and then you have if that was the only elk hunt I you know only tag I drew. And then you have a whole year to think about that, you know? <laughs> yeah. So I've had my share of misses too. Or the, the, the thing that happens to us very often is we have a setup that you think this is a slam dunk. But then because there's me and one or two other people, very often, if you can think about having three times the amount of noise and sense and movement, it's like, Oh, how did we not make that work out? How did we screw that up? But yeah. It's, it adds another challenge to it, but it also adds that much more fun when you finally put the pieces together. But. No doubt. Well, Fresh Tracks is currently airing on Sportsman's Channel, 10 p.m. Yep. Central, Sunday evenings. Yep. Uh, folks need to check that out. And you did four seasons of On Your Own Adventures before that. Uh, yep. So, God, you've been doing making great uh, hunting television for eight years now. Oh, thanks, Cable. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I <laughs> I still scratch my head and say, how did I end up in this, and how is it that I'm still doing it after eight years? Yeah. Would have got rid of me long before now. <laughs> well, I know y'all be filming for uh, season five this fall, so yeah. we're certainly looking forward to that. And um, now, how are you still doing the podcast as well? Yep. Yeah, we're doing a podcast. You can get that on iTunes or Stitcher. It's called Hunt Talk Radio. Mm-hmm. In the off-season, I try to do a weekly podcast, but when I'm on the road, uh, it becomes every other week. And even getting it up there every other week is hard when you're traveling that much. But uh, Oh, sure. We yeah. talk about lots of things. You know, sometimes it's 
tips and tactics. Sometimes it's politics. Sometimes it's you know things affecting hunting in the in the public eye of, of society or it's conservation. And so it's a fun place to have discussions. You can get into a lot more depth than TV allows for. Oh, for sure, for sure. The awesome. other thing we've really done, put a big emphasis on since January, is our YouTube channel. We have a big YouTube channel now. We're throwing all of our episodes up there, uh, old and new. And then we're adding all this behind the scenes or stuff that you never, TV didn't give you the time to talk about the equipment we used or the tactic we used or how we did this or why we did that. So YouTube allows us to add videos, you know, three to five minute videos about all that stuff. And I'm amazed how many people go to YouTube and watch our stuff. We'll, we'll end up with more YouTube views this year than we'll get on TV. Wow. <laughs> so the YouTube channel is Randy Newberg Hunter. And uh, we're, we're getting ready to load some more really cool stuff up there. I think in the late next week we'll load up an archery elk hunt with me and Corey Jacobson from here in Montana. And two weeks later we'll load up a Wyoming archery elk hunt. So it's, it's a place where people can catch us if they don't have Sportsman's channel. Awesome. Well, Randy, we certainly appreciate it, my friend. Dave, thank you. I uh, I look forward to the day we get to share a camp. Oh, me too. Me too. We'll make it happen. Uh, maybe yeah. we'll get lucky and and uh, draw one of those coveted tags in New Mexico. Well, you you've got a good track record. <laughs> maybe I used up all my luck. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, great luck this coming season, Randy. Yeah, thanks. Same to you, Cable. All right. There he goes, Randy Newberg. And you won't find a nicer guy in the outdoor industry, that is for sure. Uh, Great stuff there. Hope you all enjoyed that conversation. That segment, by the way, was brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy in Marion, Texas. Josh and Becky Gunther have been handling all of my trophy mounts for five years now. Everything from black bear to whitetail to exotics, speckled trout, you name it. The thing is, I trust them. They're salt-of-the-earth people that do amazing taxidermy, and you can find all of their stuff right there on their website for reference by visiting GR8, that's GR, the number 8, mounts.com. Let's take a break. Up next, we'll change things up, head north, and I'm talking about pretty far north, to do a little smallmouth bass and northern pike fishing with Freshwater Fishing Hall of Famer Gord Pizer. You're listening to DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. That barber dancing So I'll just drink Keep on being The way I am market for a compact track loader then check out the bobcat advantage where bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges whether you're looking for performance advantages uptime protection or quality design bobcat compact track loaders are the best built machines in the industry but don't take our word for it watch the videos at bobcatadvantage.com or see bobcat machines in person at bobcat of dallas lewisville bobcat of fort worth and bobcat of longview visit bobcatofdallas.com or call 469-586-0000 today LSC Trailer Sales offers a full line of utility trailers, from small single-axle trailers to heavy equipment trailers, ATV trailers, car haulers, landscape trailers, cargo trailers, truck beds, and more. 
They can special order a custom trailer to fit your needs and have the ability to customize standard models in-house. LSC Trailer Sales is here to assist you with any questions that you have about trailers. Call 940-566-1133 or visit lsctrailersales.com. That's lsctrailersales.com. Hey, y'all. Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Hey, this is Kevin Van Dam, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Out down by the creek where the water goes slow, the greenback heron and the moccasin know. All things come to him who waits, yet he is lost who hesitates. There's a little guy, Clark, bringing us back on DSC's Lone Star Outdoors show. I'm Cable Smith. Thank you so much for being here with me. Mud is the name of that tune. One of my all-time favorites there from one of the best songwriters, I think, uh, that we've ever seen, to be honest with you, when it comes to country music. Uh, anyway, thanks to our presenting sponsors, Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris. Thanks to you for being here with me today. It is a treat to be talking all things outdoors with you, and we're about to get into a little fishing discussion with uh, Freshwater Fishing Hall of Famer, Gord Pizer. But before we do that, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation I'm a member, proud to be one. I'd love for you to join us as well to get involved with this great group of like-minded folks who are passionate about hunter education, hunter's rights, and conservation. Go to biggame.org. All right. Well, uh, we really are going to do something a little bit different here since I'm actually heading to Ontario, Canada next week for a canoe-slash-northern pike and smallmouth bass fishing trip with my dad and brothers and a couple of lifelong friends. So I figured, well, I don't really know much about northern pike fishing, but the predatory nature of the northern pike is something that has always infatuated me. Uh, And, uh, you know, of course, we don't have pike down here in the southern United States, but I figured y'all might find it interesting anyway to uh, find out how these fish are caught. Hell, some of y'all have probably made the trip up north yourselves and uh, caught some decent pike before. Uh, the couple that I've caught in Minnesota were tiny little things, and so uh, it's all Greek to me, needless to say. Without further ado, though, it's my pleasure to welcome Gord Pizer to the show. I'm really glad to be back, Cable. I'm actually headed up to your neck of the woods, and I figured I could get a little advice from our uh, our Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame buddy. Well, you shoot away with your questions, and I'll try and help. All right. Well, so I'm, I'm coming into, uh, how do you pronounce it? You told me a second ago, Atacokan? Atacokan, yes, it's right on the uh, right on the Ontario Minnesota uh, boundary. Okay, and uh, and I have done the Boundary Waters. We stayed in Minnesota. Oh gosh, it was five or six years ago. Did a very similar trip, but we're gonna uh, come up there, do a little canoeing and fishing for five or six days on the, I guess it's the White Otter Turtle River Wilderness. That's correct. It's that that area is just to probably one of the most uh, famous. 
um, uh, uh, wilderness areas is the Quetico Provincial Park, just to the east of that. And so where you're going to be is uh, almost immediately on the western boundary of the Quetico Provincial Park. Mm. Well, it's uh, the Boundary Water is truly, you know, it's a unique and, and beautiful place. One that I'm excited to get to go back to. Uh, but when it comes to the fishing, you know, maybe not so much on the smallmouth side, uh, bass or or generally bass, but northern pike, it's all Greek to me, man. I've caught a couple of them, but I think I just lucked into it on that last trip, and uh, you know, nothing of of substantial size. You just got back from a trip. Now, were you uh, chasing pike, or what were you after? You know, it's interesting. I, I was away up in uh, almost to uh, uh, the Northwest Territories. I was on uh, Lake Athabasca, mm-hmm. and uh, <clears throat> it was, uh, honestly, Cable, the fishing was outrageous. We uh, we figure we got just under 500 uh, trophy lake trout in three days. There was a oh. small group of us, and uh, the biggest was 53 pounds. Uh, they probably averaged 25 we got several between 40 and 50, and good numbers between 30 and 40 pounds, and almost uh, lost count of the number of, of lake trout we caught between 20 and 30. Mm-hmm. Okay, so y'all were mostly targeting the trout then. But you know what? We did uh, catch a few uh, northern pike as well. I, I have to be honest, uh, we spend uh, a good uh, amount of time locally here fishing pike, so... Uh, we actually didn't target them too, too hard because we want to take advantage uh, of the trophy trout fishing. Oh, sure, sure. Well, and I don't think we'll be messing with the, the trout as much on this trip just because, if I remember correctly, last time, uh, it seems like they're pretty deep this time of year. You know, even uh, as far north as we were, um, uh, up uh, almost to the Northwest Territory, they were still down 70 feet. Yeah. <laughs> um, in fact, 70 was probably our best step. So you're right uh, around here right now with the warm water and warm weather. Uh, they'll be at least in that 70 to 90 foot range, mm-hmm. which from a canoe is hard to do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so we're going to focus on the pike and smallies. Um, I guess the first thing I want to ask you is as far as gear is concerned, what kind of rig would you recommend, you know, keeping in mind that it is kind of uh, cumbersome because I'll be flying with whatever I'm br- uh, bringing? Um, I did find a couple of, uh, I think they're about seven-foot collapsibles at Cabela's. Yes. Break into three or four pieces for, oh, I think they're only like 100 bucks or something. So I was planning on grabbing a couple of those and then rigging one up for pike and one up for smallmouth. Um, well, you, you, I'm sure you know how, how to rig yourself for smallies. Sure. Um, but the interesting thing, Cable, if if and and folks often do ask about uh, how to p- plan for northern pike this time of the year, and the answer is uh, your largemouth bass outfits are absolutely perfect. So uh, medium heavy action uh, bait casting rods. I mean, you can go spinning as well, mm-hmm. but however you would fish for largemouth bass. Uh, is absolutely perfect for northern pike as well. The only thing you would add that you wouldn't do with largemouth is you want to use uh, a metal leader because they can bite through line pretty easily. So you'd simply put a leader on the end. Uh, um, the American Wire Company makes something called Surflon Micro Supreme, mm-hmm. and it's a tieable stainless steel, and it, it's as easy to tie as uh, fluorocarbon, 
And so instead of putting an 8 to 10 or 12-inch fluorocarbon leader on, you just put an 8 to 10, 12-inch uh, uh, stainless steel, tieable stainless steel leader on, and you're good to go for northerns. Awesome. Okay. And uh, that doesn't really affect the way the bait's going to move either when you talk about the... Uh... No, because uh, being tieable stainless steel, it's uh, it's about the same diameter as fluorocarbon um we even use it, believe it or not, in, in some of our tournaments here. Uh, if I'm fishing a bass tournament on a couple of waters, uh, we get bit off so often by northerns. We can go through two, $300 in jerk baits in a day. So we'll often put the ultra-thin uh, Micron Supreme tieable stainless steel wire up front, and it's almost invisible in the water and, and totally flexible doesn't impact uh, the action on your bait at all. Okay. Uh, well, that's going to be very valuable right there because I, I was going to ask you about, you know, a leader. I assume we need one. So I'm going to pick that up at Cabela's when I go grab those rods. Yeah, um, the leader is essential. Mm-hmm. Now, now, the other thing you can do, and this here's another idea, uh, we will do this, especially if we're throwing uh, topwater baits, uh, if we were throwing, uh, say, a chatterbait-type bait, and, and northerns love those chatterbait-type baits, what we'll often do is put on just a short section of maybe 20 to 30-pound uh, fluorocarbon. And it, it, it's, it's not quite as good as the tieable stainless steel, but it, it is pretty good, and they, all you need to do is retie quite often. Um, okay, so you talked about whatever pound test you would use for largemouth bass fishing, or yep. would you? Because I I usually have about you know twelve pound test on there. I don't know if I needed to up that a little bit. You know, you you, you might. Um, we throw a lot of braid, mm-hmm. uh, braided lines. So we're, if we're throwing uh, say fourteen to twenty pound test braid. Uh, we'll then put on the leader, and and the one thing about braid, you can get a little bit extra depth with the braid, mm-hmm. and uh, the bigger northerns, I know at the beginning when you were talking, uh, we were chatting, and you said, you know, the times you've been up here before, you've got the smaller pike yeah. and not the larger. The larger northerns have a, have a cooler water temperature preference, and so they are down a little bit deeper. And our water temperature right now, depending on the size of the lake, and water temperatures in the mid to high 70s. And those bigger northerns actually prefer about 60, 64 to 67 degrees, which will probably put you down on some of the, the deeper rock piles and humps and reefs and under underwater points. You're probably going to want to be down in that uh, anywhere from 12 to 20 feet. Mm-hmm. Okay, so some big crankbaits would be uh, essential? Big crankbaits work extremely well. Uh, uh, not outrageously big, but yes, bigger. Uh, big jerk baits are tremendous. Uh, larger fluke-style baits, if, if, you, if you're fishing a fluke on a, on a weighted hook. Uh, now, we'll throw uh, fluke styles as, as, as big as uh, 7 to 9 inches, but that's when we're on those even further northern uh, waters where there's really giant pike. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, uh, uh, amazingly, anything you would throw for big, largemouth bass is dynamite for uh, northern pike. Mm. Well, yeah, because you said a fluke, like a green pumpkin seed fluke is like one of my go-to baits for largemouth. So, uh... well, And the one thing I would say, though, is northerns... <coughs> 
excuse me, while they, they certainly eat yellow perch and uh, uh, it, it seems like they have a tremendous color preference for anything white or silver. Okay. So if it's really bait fish looking, uh, a white fluke or a white fluke style bait, especially five to seven inches on a weighted jig head, uh, pretty hard to beat. Okay. Or a weighted swim bait hook. Uh-huh. So, I mean, basically, you could you fish them. I could fish these pike with the Texas rig set up. So, you know, we do fish them Texas rigged on uh, weighted swim bait type hooks, uh, Gamagatsu weighted hooks. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe uh, the bigger ones, the uh, four, five, six, seven uh, aught hooks um, with a quarter to as much as a half ounce. And then we're trying to get them down into that 15, 18, 20-foot range. And it seems like the uh, the smaller pike with that warmer water temperature preference, they're up shallower, and the bigger fish are out adjacent to deeper water and, and often in that uh, deeper, cold, cooler water. Uh-huh. Okay, okay. Um, so what is your favorite bait? If I'm headed up to uh, Cabela's, what are you not leaving? You know, what, what am I not leaving without? Uh, I'm not leaving without uh, pretty heavy uh, one-half, three-quarter ounce um, swim bait jigs. Uh-huh. Uh, so I'll, uh, the owner saltwater hook is the standard. Owner makes a uh, the owner hook company makes a it's a saltwater version. It's a bullet head, and they make that in the half, three quarters, and one ounce. Um, now, I pour my own very similar to that. I pour them on Gamagatsu jigs, um, and they'll be 4-aught, 5-aught, 6-aught, 7-aught hooks. And I'll be throwing probably 5- and 6-inch uh, Berkeley hollow belly swim baits, uh, big hammer swim baits with the paddle tails. That's probably our go-to bait right now. Okay. Awesome, awesome insight there. Well, that gives me an idea of uh, of what I need to do on the on the uh, pike front, and and I think actually, and I don't know if this is even something you guys do, but uh, I think my brother caught a couple. We were just you know as we're canoeing, he's just trolling, had a big, oh, I don't know if it was a rattle trap or some kind of swim bait on. Um, exactly. But uh, I, I guess that is something that uh, can be beneficial as well. Tremendously beneficial. Uh, um, we, I was out yesterday with my grandson on a, on a lake to the north of us here. Now we were fishing muskies, uh, uh, muskie and northern pike are in the very same family. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's exactly what we were doing cable. We were contour trolling and, uh, muskies actually have a warmer, uh, temperature profile preference. And our best depth yesterday was 14 feet. So if I was targeting uh, northerns, big northerns right now, and, you know, we've got them into the 54-inch, 34-pound range, we're, we're probably down at least into that 17, 20-foot contour zone. Very, very structure-oriented fish. So you find underwater points, you find shoals, drop-offs, they're ambush predators. So I think it's why a good largemouth bass, a good deep water ledge fisherman uh, for largemouth bass would absolutely be dynamite on northern pike. Hmm. Well, the only disadvantage we, we're going to have is no, we're not going to have any electronics with us. So, yes. But uh, we'll make it work. 
Absolutely. You look on shore, and when you, you know, what you see on shore, if you see an island point and it's got lots of boulders just barely sticking up out of the water, and you got a pretty good idea it's running out slowly or gradually, just keep working your way out towards the end of it. If there's some deep weeds, uh, deep weed lines associated in that uh, 10, 12, 14 foot range, uh, you found good pike locations. Okay. Well, switching it up uh, onto the uh, the smallmouth front, uh, fish that we have some here in Texas, you know, not a great smallmouth uh, fishery by any stretch of the imagination, but there are a couple lakes like Texoma and uh, others where you can get into them. Um, what, uh, what are the smallmouth small up to right now as far as what depth they're hanging out and what uh, what baits would, would you not leave home without? Yeah, uh, right now, smallmouth, uh, if you, if smallmouth and crayfish go together like uh, peat and butter and jam, um, uh, you find any, and our crayfish here uh, are obviously relating to, you know, kind of baseball, basketball size uh, boulders and rocks on the bottom. Mm-hmm. So when you find uh, rock, and if you can find uh, rock mixed in with uh, pencil reeds and a little bit of cabbage weeds, when you can find those complex structures and cover, um, those are dynamite for smallmouth bass. They love being able to cruise in amongst uh, some isolated uh, cabbage patches and a little bit of uh, a pencil reed growing above the water and lots of interspersed boulders. Uh, you have found smallmouth bass up here. The interesting thing, and, and I've got a lot of American friends come up and visit us, and uh, even though it's uh, like it's mid-80 uh, air temperature right now and our, our water's in the mid-70s, uh, mid to high 70 degree range, uh, a lot of folks think uh, the top water bite is only early morning and late evening, but the nice thing up here for smallmouth is you can top water all day. And the other interesting thing is our topwater bite is a big fish pattern. So if you like throwing Zara spooks uh-huh. and you like throwing Popar type baits, uh, yes, early, earlier in the morning and late afternoon is good. But anywhere that you think, wow, this looks like a dynamite spot for topwaters, you throw it regardless of the time of day. Awesome. Okay. Great insight there. Um <laughs> And then, the other the the other go to bait uh, uh, jerk baits a uh-huh. uh, little bit smaller than obviously you're throwing for the northern pike uh, so an X wrap uh, Rapala X wrap type bait uh, in that three to five inch maybe five inch maximum uh, Lucky Craft they're they're really good and the neat thing with the uh, jerk baits is you're going to get knocked you're going to get uh, northern pike mixed in with the smallmouth. Hmm. Okay. Uh, one thing I should have mentioned too, and and it applies to both the smallmouth and the northern pike, is uh, cable. There is no fish that is more wind oriented than northerns. So as you're fishing, uh, if if you find a spot and you're catching lots of nice smallmouth on it, and it's reasonably calm, and then you get a little bit of wind maybe the next day, you you might go back to that, and the and the northerns get so fired up. With that wind blowing in, it's hard to actually catch the smallmouth because you're catching northern pike so quickly. <laughs> oh, I'm lo- I'm certainly looking forward to it. This is uh, I was already excited, but uh, this is getting me amped up, Gord. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, and uh, so 
I mean, that basically tells me everything I need to know. Is, but I will ask you one more thing on the smallmouth. Do they have a uh, preferred color on the soft plastics this time of year? You know, um, crayfish color. Yeah, crayfish color. Green pumpkin is is unbeatable uh, almost anywhere you go. And so, worms uh, or creature type baits. Either. Okay. Uh, uh, Texas rigged, uh, or sorry, a wacky rigged. Uh, Will wacky rig uh, senko type baits? Mm-hmm. They're dynamite for smallmouth right now. Okay. Uh, if if you find the sh- the smallie shallow, uh, then you're going to wacky rig weightless. Uh, if they're out a little bit deeper in the middle of the day, the uh, uh, the gamagatsu VMC type wacky jig heads, uh, one sixteenth. They just get you down a little bit faster. They're they're deadly right now too. If you like to drop shot. Although you don't have electronics, so drop shotting's pretty much a video game. Yeah. Uh, so I'd be sticking more with the wacky rigs, the jerk baits, uh, green pumpkin, and, and and they definitely are feeding on uh, emerald shiners uh, and and Cisco type baits. So white and silvery minnow imitations are are pretty hard to beat as well. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. And last thing, uh, before I let you go, you've been very generous with your time, but uh, will, do you think we'll luck into any walleye, or uh, are they pretty deep right now as well? Well, it's so interesting you say that. I, I write a blog for Ontario Tourism, and the one that just went up this morning, uh, this is probably our absolute best year. Uh, and, my, and, and what I've written about is if you want to target – uh, really large walleyes. We've been catching uh, eight to twelve pound trophy walleyes, r- releasing them, but and we're getting numbers of them. It's a pattern that works every year in the summer, uh, but for some strange reason, it's been working better this year than ever, and that is to go smallmouth bass fishing. Uh, we have probably caught trophy walleyes, not targeting them on eight out of the last ten trips out. Huh. So yes, you will luck into walleyes. Uh, uh, just throw, just fishing for smallmouth incidentally, and they tend to be the biggest fish. Awesome. Um, if you want to get walleyes, the the general uh, consensus is if you're catching uh, smallmouth bass in say ten or twelve feet, you go five feet deeper for the walleyes. Uh, they're just a little bit cooler oriented, mm-hmm. and you tend to catch more. Uh, walleyes mixed in with northerns. Uh, so uh, the smallmouth are the most shallow, and the northerns walleyes are another five to eight feet deeper. Perfect, perfect. Well, Gordon, man, we certainly appreciate your time today. Uh, thanks for helping this Texan out a little bit, uh, coming up to Ontario to uh, take in all that your neck of the woods has to offer, and I'm certainly looking forward to it. Well, you'll have a great time, and and when the tables reverse, when I come to uh, Texas for largemouth, uh, you, I'm expecting you to return the favor, Cable. You bet, anytime, anytime, Gordon. <laughs> hey, thanks well, so much. Well, you have a great trip. All right, take care. You too. All right, Gord Pizer, fishing editor of Outdoor Canada Magazine, Freshwater Fishing Hall of Famer. It's always great visiting with him. Uh, that segment was brought to you by two Texas Traditions and Rudy's True Texas Style Barbecue and STI Guns. Go Texan, go STI. Well, let's go ahead and take a break. Up next, one of my favorite guests, and it's always cool to have her on because if Linda Powell joins the show, then that means we're usually giving away some kind of Mossberg firearm. And that trend will continue here momentarily. Stay tuned to find out how you can win a brand-new Mossberg shotgun 
right here on DSC's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I wish that I was a chunk of coal Way down deep in the belly of my soul I'd sparkle and I'd shine I might be a diamond in my own sweet time And I wish I was a chunk of coal Cable Smith here for Lone Star Ag Credit. We all know land is a limited commodity. Let's face it, they're not making any more of it, but everybody wants it. Whether that's to build a house, hunt deer, or run cattle, allow Lone Star Ag Credit to help make that land your land. They've been doing it since 1917. For more information, visit LoneStarAgCredit.com to let them help you finance your piece of Texas today. We all love fishing, but private water fishing makes the experience even more enjoyable. Private means private, and when you reserve one of over 50 private lakes, that means you're the only one on the water. Lakes are stocked and professionally managed to grow big bass, and most have boats on site at no charge. You'll catch bigger numbers and bigger fish than on public water. Silence, solitude, and no crowds. It's a great way to introduce kids and grandkids into the outdoors. Visit privatewaterfishing.com to become a member today. Do you have a hog problem at your ranch or deer lease? We have the solution. The System Hog Trap comes in two sizes, 17-foot and 30-foot diameter traps. After you trap the hogs, take the top section off the trap and use it for another feeder site to keep the hogs away from the feeder. The System is both a trap and a deer food plot fence. That way you don't waste your money on just a hog trap. Call 940-391-3669 or visit www.goinfencing.com. That's goinfencing.com. Hey, North Texas sports fans, this is Brian Spagnola, General Manager of Texas Motor Cars in Addison. My family's been in the car business for over 50 years, and I want to show you the difference in buying from a family-owned and operated business. TexasMotorCars.com is an awesome website that lets you do virtually all of your shopping online. We have a professional photographer that takes amazing photos, and we give you all the information that you'll need up front. You can even find out how much we will give you for your trade-in before you ever come in. I take pride in the fact you can come in, choose a car, and be out in less than an hour. We have financing rates starting at 1.79% on pre-owned vehicles and can help almost anybody. Please do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a pre-owned vehicle of any kind, give us a shot. Let me show you how easy buying a vehicle should be. Visit TexasMotorCars.com or come visit our 20,000-square-foot indoor showroom in Addison. Again, visit TexasMotorCars.com or call us at 1-888-9-TX-MOTORS. I want six kids and a double wife, a good wife and a woman on the side in my white trash paradise. I want a garden with onions, carrots and beans with a few back issues of Hustler magazine for my white trash. Cable Smith welcoming everybody back to Dallas Safari Club Lone Star Outdoor Show. That too cracks me up. Whether you're white collar or white trash, I'm probably somewhere in the middle. Uh, I'm glad that you're here today as we welcome outdoorsmen and women from all walks of life. The more the merrier. And I think that message honestly gets lost a lot of times. Uh, see hunters and anglers beating each other up especially on social media all too often. There's a common enemy out there, and it's not each other. So keep that in mind. Uh, this segment of the show, by the way, is proudly brought to you by the Y.O. Ranch headquarters, one of the most iconic ranches in all of Texas and the birthplace of exotic hunting here in the United States. The Y.O. Ranch headquarters not only has historical landmarks on site that you can visit, 
But more importantly, they've got an amazing herd of exotic species out there, which is highlighted by an incredible axis deer resource. They've also got cyca, black buck, uh, a ton of African species as well, everything from eland to water buck. Check it out. It's the wildranchheadquarters.com. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and bring on our next guest. Uh, she is a longtime friend of the show, and we've been shooting Mossberg firearms for, God, going on like five years now. It's been a great relationship, and it's been good for you guys and gals as well because a couple times a year, we put a brand new Mossberg firearm into one of y'all's hands, and we're going to tell you all about this month's giveaway right now. It's my pleasure to welcome Mossberg's Director of Public Relations, Linda Powell, back to the show. Good morning, Cable. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. Oh, it truly is a treat, as always. Um, first of all, I wanted to say I got a lot of emails uh, about our last uh, discussion where we kind of took a look back at the history of the three-and-a-half-inch chambered shotgun, which, um, you know, Mossberg led the innovation there uh, along with federal uh, ammunition. And uh, a lot of people found that fascinating. Well, I, you know, you initiated that, and, and I appreciate it as well because, gave me an opportunity to dig a little bit and, and relive, relive some of the history of the company, and uh, I really enjoyed that, particularly hearing the stories from some of the employees. So, uh, yeah. you know, it's nice sometimes to look at history and understand where we're at today based on those types of developments. Uh-huh, uh-huh. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, all of firearm history fascinates me, and that was just something as a passionate waterfowler and goose hunter that I was like, huh. Interesting. And then when I found out Mossberg produced the first model, we got to dig a little <laughs> deeper and, and find out how all that went down. So anyway, as far as shotguns go, though, we're going to actually be giving away one this month. I believe we're going to do the 935 model. Um, one lucky listener will be taking it to the duck blind with them this fall. And I'm going to let you talk a little bit about that lineup and, and that gun specifically. Sure. The actual model is our 935 uh, Pro Series. Mm -hmm. And the great thing about these guns is, you know, as far as the actual gun itself, it's our already proven 12-gauge uh, auto-loading platform, the, the 930, 935. Um, the 935 is a 3.5-inch gun. But we've taken the Pro Series to another level, and I think that's really important for waterfowl hunters. Um, we've got special finishes on all the internal working parts. And the advantage to that, first of all, is, you know, reduced corrosion um, and, uh, you know, ease of cleaning. And when you're out every day, you know, whether it be in flooded timber or laying out in a blind in a field, um, you know, waterfowl guns really take a lot of abuse. Oh, and sure. uh, one of the things probably all of us hate more than anything else is cleaning guns. Uh, so it really is nice that these have those special coatings and treatments. And also another key is it has a stainless steel return spring which also uh, aids in that corrosion resistance. So mm -hmm. um, in addition to that, you know, you're talking about sometimes volume shooting. So these finishes also reduce friction, which in turn reduces wear on those parts. So it just adds to the reliability of the gun. Well, you know, and anything that can uh, end up with me cleaning my shotgun less is a good thing because <laughs> I'm notorious for, you know, and then... You drop it in the mud, you use it as a boat paddle, you know, whatever the case, it gets gunked up. And, uh, yeah, if, especially if you're hunting the next day, it's like, oh, do I really want to take this thing apart? <laughs> Which, uh, so, and, and with a gas-operated uh, gun, that's, uh, you know, extremely important, too. 
it is it is yeah. you know that's uh, that's key to it you know continuing to operate reliably and and smoothly um the other thing about these guns you know fully camoed uh they've got ma- uh, mossy oak shadow grass blades pattern on it uh which is uh you know i think one of the best patterns out there going right now uh it also comes with some some nice features it has fiber optic sights um you get you know our our choke system and also not a lot of people realize that the 930 and the 935 have a stock drop system. And it actually comes with uh, shims where you can adjust the gun to fit you. And uh, I think that's a real plus, too. It's kind of like almost getting a, a custom gun from uh, straight from the factory. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no doubt about that. Um, but, yeah, this is the same gun that I use uh, day in, day out in the field. Um, everything from, I mean, starting with opening day of dove season. Uh, but I am excited because uh, we're going to get one of these Silver Reserve uh, combos, which I was telling you off the air. I've never, I've never had an over/under before, but the uh, you know going back to tradition, tradition and history, the nostalgia of of upland hunting with an over/under, you know, like the old timers used to do it, is something that has always been uh, uh, attractive to me. That's right, and you know a lot of people think that they can't afford an over and under shotgun, and uh, that's one of the great things about Mossberg's Silver Reserve series. Uh, it gives you the option to have a field or a sporting gun if you're more of a competition shooter. Uh, have a very handsome, uh, solidly built over and under shotgun at an affordable price. Mm-hmm. And what is it like um, as far as competing with the? Well, I mean, the Italian companies are known for putting out the great over and under guns. Um, what has it been like for Mossberg competing in that marketplace? Well, you know, sometimes you say it's hard to compete against that, but I, I think, uh, you know, when someone goes into their local dealer and they pick up one and they actually handle it, uh, you know, put it up to the shoulder, the fit, the finish, um, the features are exactly what you get in, in those higher-priced guns. Uh, the difference is, you know, in, in manufacturing, and we're able to keep costs down. Um, so I think that's a real advantage without sacrificing in the appearance or the functionality of the gun. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, once again, what Mossberg's known for, you know, we, we give you high-quality guns at a really affordable price. And, yeah. uh, that yeah. that's who our, our customer is. Mm-hmm. And, and just looking at the gun, I mean, it's absolutely beautiful uh, wood stock, and, you know, it's got a lot of engraving there. So, it, you know, it really is handsome. That's actually a black walnut stock. You're going to have a satin finish and engraving. Um, you know, again, lots of options here. We've got them in 12, 20, 28, and 14 gauge. You and I were talking about the one you're interested in is a combo where you actually get a two-barrel set, Yeah. Um, a 12 and 20, or a choice of a 20 and a 28. Um, and I just think there's tr- tremendous value here and getting a, a classic over and under shotgun. Yeah, uh, and that's what I'm really excited about too, because uh, I do love you know chasing dove and and quail with the 20 gauge, and then at the same time having something you know for pheasant or uh, you know the bigger you know grouse or something like that. And obviously would take my 12 gauge in that situation. So this one has them both covered. Um, and what is the uh, what is the MSRP on on that gun? Well, um, you start looking at some of the over and unders come in around, uh, as I was going to say, suggested retails about seven seventy five. Mm-hmm. To the combos and the sporting versions go up closer to eleven hundred. Yeah. Um, but again, when I say that's MSRP, your actual street price, 
you usually can find them at your local dealer anywhere from, you know, I'd say 100 to $150 less. So you're talking about getting in an over-and-under shotgun probably in the 650 range. Um, no, and not bad that, at all. No, and that combo two-barrel set would probably be closer to about uh, 9 950 Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm certainly excited about that uh, about that gun, and uh, equally as excited about our 935 giveaway, which I didn't ask you. I did um, do want to let folks know that the 935 is also uh, fairly uh, affordable uh, when it comes to a, a, a semi-auto shotgun. That that's true. Uh, you know, price point on it comes in right around uh, you know that thousand dollar mark. Um, so, in your local dealer, don't be surprised if you see it. Uh, you know, for 850 and that's very affordable for, uh, as you said, a semi-auto shotgun and a three and a half inch. Oh yeah, yeah, with camo and the you know the whole nine yards, all the features that you talked about as far as the uh, the coating on the internal parts, which going back to keeping the gun clean. If you're like me, uh, I just I usually just try to uh, you know go as long as I can <laughs> without breaking it down. And uh, sometimes I do, you know, I try to stretch it one too many hunts, and then you have no one to blame but yourself. (laughs) I may uh, be guilty of that, too, so don't feel bad. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, well, cool. We are looking forward to it. Uh, If folks want to throw their hat in the ring for a chance to win the 935, uh, all you have to do is email me your best hunting or fishing photo for our August contest. Just email it to LoneStarOutdoorsShow at gmail.com, or uh, you can use the hashtag LSOS photo contest on Instagram or Facebook will get you entered. And at the end of the month, and this is always my favorite thing because I don't have a guilty conscience. People are like, who are, you, who are you picking? I'm like, I don't pick. You you guys pick. So fan vote determines the winner. And it's always cool to see uh, which photos really take off there when the contest gets going. Real quick, when are you headed back to Canada? I know you've got a you got to get back up there and get that bear. <laughs> I'm, I'm counting the days. I actually be up there uh, toward the end of September. Uh-huh. Um, before that, I'll be heading out to Utah for a mule deer hunt. and uh, So that'll get me warmed up a bit. And, and like I said, off to Vancouver Island. And hope I can follow up with you and uh, send a big photo of a, a black bear. And which gun are you taking on that hunt? I'm actually taking our Patriot. Uh, picked a laminate stop with marine coat finish and 300 Win Mac. Awesome, awesome. Well, very cool, Linda. We certainly appreciate it. Big fans of uh, all that you do at Mossberg and for, you know, offering the hunter a great firearm at an affordable price. It's been a thrill for us to work with you over the years, and we're looking forward to continuing to do that. I appreciate our relationship as well, and good luck to your listeners. Uh, Somebody's going to take home that 935. Yeah, I wish I could win it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, thanks again. Take care. And there she goes, Mossberg's Linda Powell. I tell you what, you talk about someone who's eaten up with bear hunting, whether it's brown bear or black bear, as she referenced, uh, about to head back up to Vancouver Island. Linda is hell on bears. And I'm certainly looking forward to seeing what giant she tags here uh, coming up in September. Uh, That segment of the show, by the way, was brought to you by Costa Sunglasses. As I tell you guys and gals every week, if you haven't looked through the lens of Costa's 580p technology, then you're absolutely missing out. Uh, Actually, we just got back from Galveston, Texas. Went down there with my uh, dad and brothers and wives and girlfriends, nieces, nephews, the whole nine yards. And one of my brothers actually borrowed a pair of my Costas for uh, a trout fishing trip that we went on. And Let's just say they are no longer my Costas. He was blown away with 
what he could see below the surface on that fishing trip. Uh, he tried to make a cash offer. I ended up just giving them to him. But anyway, check it out. You can mix and match your frame, style, and lens, and you can do it all right there at CostaDelMar.com. Uh, just looking at the clock here, we are flat out of time. It's my least favorite part of every show. We got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to our guest today, uh, obviously Linda Powell, also Gord Pizer, and of course our old friend Randy Newberg. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of Dallas Safari Club's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I was just 17 when the we called. Mama said, boy, don't send me no tears back to Wichita Falls.